0: Welcome to Backstory Song. I'm your host Doug Burke and today we're here with Stephen Kellogg. Stephen Kellogg is an American singer-songwriter who has released 17 albums and performed more than 2,000 concerts in 21 countries. One of Stevens passions has been visiting military bases to perform for the service men and women serving abroad. SK and the Sixers have performed for the Armed Forces in Kuwait, Israel, Bahrain, and Africa. Rolling Stone said, Objects in the Mirror captures the talent, spontaneity, and humanity of Kellogg's songwriting. He was born and raised in New England and lives there with his wife, four daughters, and their cat, Holly. SK is an imperfect authority on managing testosterone in an estrogen-filled household. I'm here with Stephen Kellogg, at Backstory Song. So thrilled to have you here, Stephen. I printed out a list. Um, normally, we do a deep dive on the vision, inspiration, creative process you went through on an individual song, and yeah. and what you went through in the creation of your song.
1: Well, yeah, I love that. That's that sounds like fun, and you know it kind of fits in because I, I I mentioned to you a minute ago I, I just finished a book. And in the book, what I ended up doing was tying each chapter to a song on the new record. So they, each chapter starts with a set of lyrics, and then it goes into. so.
0: And, and a lot of them are part of your personal life, your marriage, your daughters, and being a parent, and things like that, is, is what I understand, and hearing about that.
1: Yeah, I, I, don't, I, don't, uh, I, don't, I don't make a lot of things up. You know, I try to draw on what I have seen up close and really believe to be true. Um, So it doesn't always have to be my life, but it's usually, if it's not mine, it's someone that I know, and that gets you in trouble sometimes because people see their lives in your songs, but, uh, you know, my goal is never to wound, but just to kind of report the truth as I see it, and and, uh, so... You never know, Doug, you
0: might end up in one of my songs after this, because everyth- <laughs> everything's fair game, you know? I would uh, be thrilled and honored, actually, if uh, that happened. Uh, and I know you're a very respectful person. It's in your music and uh, and in your speech, like your TED speech, if you see that. I encourage everybody to look at uh, Stephen's TED talk. It's very inspiring. Um, but you have a, a core set of values that's powerful, that's in your music, um, yeah, you know, and I when I was younger,
1: I used to worry about I didn't want to be too preachy, you know. And I'm 43 now, and the thing is, if what you're if you believe what you're saying and it's good, then preach it, you know. I I just have a I'm a little more comfortable in my own skin now, and I guess that's just part of the age. But I feel like this is the whole point is to say things that you mean and that can be of use hopefully to someone else in the world uh and if you keep it inside or play it too close to the chest then you're sort of you're being stingy with what you've learned so the songs over the years i think have gotten more direct and less um you know i used to couch some of the discoveries and philosophies in in a little heavier poetry and now i try to to really say what i mean you know
0: so what song would you like to talk about
1: Well, why don't we start with the first single off the new record. It's a song called High Highs, Low Lows.
2: The one making a decision Always ends up second-guessed A person less decisive Who believes that they know best I wouldn't change a thing I would make the call again Shame on you, you could have been a friend Now it's hard to hear the measure that was with me all the time Like it was in the beginning, but the past is hard to find Do you think we'll ever feel the way we felt when we began? Do you think we'll ever feel that way again? Highs and low lows Only one way that the river flows Was it comedy or tragedy Both I would suppose Highs and low lows Well, there time in Arizona When we laughed
1: until we cried
2: All the sleepers in the van
1: And this was one that um, that I wrote because I had been having I I had had a really tough um, professional situation about two and a half years ago. I thought to myself, it was truly a midlife crisis. I thought, okay, I've accomplished a lot, but not what I wanted to. It's been so different than what I thought I wanted, and. I'm here at a place in my life where, even when I'm winning, I, I sometimes feel like I'm losing, and I just... So I was kind of having a little bit of a pity party, and one of my artist friends, Eric Donnelly, came over the house, and he and uh, I told him what was on my mind. And in a very Zen way, he said, "Kellogg, you just got, you just need a good new good idea, buddy. Like just do it, man. I mean, and I know it sounds so simple. You know, it sounds like I'm just." being cute here but he was kind but he kind of just told me come on man you got this so i sat down i started writing about where i was at and i started remembering all the great highs and 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 some of the stuff that i'd been through and then i thought this is how everybody's life is so i wrote this song high highs low lows and it healed a lot of things inside of me you know it just it made it okay and 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 then it became this thing where when i would play it and the chorus would come back to the chorus, high highs, low lows, only one way that the river flows. Was it tragedy or comedy who really knows high highs and low lows? Oh, those high highs and low lows. And that felt like it just equalized things and made it okay. And it seemed to work for other people. So that was really one of the seeds for the new batch of songs. You know, that that once that song came in, I thought, this is fun. What if I could write songs that could heal myself and maybe others too, you know, what else is on my mind? And and from there, kind of got running with the other songs.
0: And the album and the book have the same title?
1: They do. The album is called Objects in the Mirror, and the book will be called Objects in the Mirror, Thoughts on a Perfect Life from an Imperfect Person. Originally, I wanted them to come out together, but it turns out writing a book was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be, and it just took me about two years longer than I thought, so... Um, but it's done now. And, uh, you know, it, it, that subtitle thoughts on a perfect life from an imperfect person is really the crux of what the book is. You know, it's essays that are, you know, the, the first part of the book is relationships. So it's marriage, kids, parents, friends, heroes, you know, and the second part is everything else that really matters and time, health, sense of humor, forgiveness, integrity, legacy. You know, work, um, and I tried to just kind of get under the hood of the best stuff that I'd learned in each of those. You know, but before all that, I was doing it, kind of doing that in the songs anyway. The songs, in so many ways, are cover the same exact topics that the book does. You know,
0: so high high, and low lows, uh, which is a universal thing. Yeah, humanity. Yeah. Uh, what are you trying to say in the song?
1: Well, really, I'm just I'm just saying, um y- you know, it's 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 a it's a kind of a raise your glass to the good and the bad, to life, you know. Um, I joke around that it's like A C D C for middle aged people who like Americana music, you know. It's an <laughs> anthem. It's a folky anthem, but it's an anthem, you know, where really I, every chorus it's like, All right, let's sing this one, let's 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 acknowledge that this is a roller coaster, but that's okay. This is life and and we're
0: lucky to be here, you know? And as the audience sung along easily.
1: Yeah. I hoped it would be that, but I just wrote the song and then we recorded it. I thought this could be good. And then I did my first, I remember before the album came out, I played it in LA and I knew it was going to be a fun one to do live. And it, you know, you can feel, sometimes you think it's going to go one way and it doesn't, but in this case, it it exceeded my expectations.
0: So you've only played it a handful of times live. Oh
1: no, no, I've played it a lot now. But when okay. I first started playing, you first it, started playing. you know, you write the song and you think it's solid and done. But then when you put it in front of an audience, you kind of find out. And are know. they
0: picking up on the anthem? And oh yeah, yeah, oh, cool. yeah, yeah. Cool. No, it's been
1: it's been a it's Can't been a great it. uh, it's been great fun to to do live. Yeah.
0: And so tell me about the production of it. Uh, you know, you you write it. It was like you write it in one sitting, your, your friend provokes you, you're a creative person saying you need new ideas. Like yeah. Stephen Kellogg needs new ideas. You're, you're like this fountain of ideas. Yeah, yeah, no, well, he told me, he, told, he
1: said it has to be a good one, but you know, what do you wanna do next? And so, well, in a song like that, uh, I wrote it and I took it out and played it live, felt there was a connection, um, realized I didn't really have enough of the highs in there. I had more of the lows. So I wrote some other verses just kept hammering away at it. And then, um, and then my friend Eric proposed kind of a different feel than I, we had been playing in it. And that's when it really just opened up and made total sense. And that's the way we, we recorded it. Um,
0: so you tweak the melody with the different feel? No, or?
1: it's just kind of a different, um, finger picking pattern that, that, uh, that he actually plays on the record he plays it beautifully. And I do sort of a dumbed-down version of it when I play it by myself live. But when I'm doing a band show, he'll he'll play it, and uh does a lovely job. It just brought it home in a way that made it even more, connected even more, you know? And in terms of the production, the production on the whole new album was the same. We worked really hard on making the song arrangements to our liking and making sure that the words were exactly what I wanted them to be. And then we just went into the studio with great musicians, and we just cut them live. We did all the basics in two days, um, and then we did the background vocals and overdubs in two days. Then we took it home for a few days. Then we spent two days fixing things that we didn't like, in as much as you can, because when you record live, everything's, we're all in the room together, bleeding into the mics. So you can't fix a lot, but you can fix a background vocal or something like that, or redo a guitar solo or, and that was it. Six days. Wow. 12 songs, t- six days. Uh, I had my family in the studio. I knew that would ground me cause it's a lot of pressure and you know, you're, you're invested. I just thought they come, they came down and hung around and, and it was, uh.
0: To help inspire you to have them
1: there? Yeah. and It just it just reminds you. you that this isn't brain surgery. It's fine. You know, if the song doesn't come out, it's okay. You know, you can't, you can't it's easy to be int- I'm an, an intense person and, uh, And that is a very grounding force in my life, you know?
0: So High Highs, Low Lows is the first chapter of your book?
1: It's not. No? It falls. What what did we attach that to? We attached it to the chapter about forgiveness, which is actually the 11th chapter. But it's the first single off the record, so I sometimes feel like it's, for something like this, it seemed like a good place to start. It was the first song we shared with
0: people saying, this is the new album, you know? So the song has some elements of forgiveness in it as a message in some way, shape or form. Can you describe that to me?
1: Well, the the thing is as life goes on, right? We go through it and you can, you can sort of amass a list of grievances if you're not careful, you know, of everything that didn't go right. All the lows, you know, and you can end up really reaching back for those highs. Oh man, when I was in my late twenties, I could have been the, president of that company and then they passed over you can can get hooked on what was you know and so these peaks and valleys of a person's life can just call to you and they can sort of derail middle age and here i am i'm you know i'm now in middle age so i'm looking at my life and saying well you got to make your peace with what did work out, with what didn't work out, and and that is where the element of forgiveness comes in. You got to forgive yourself for the things that you got wrong. Forgive others for the things that they might have screwed up for you. And you know, and, and in this particular song, it's, there's a, some relationships that are outlined where I had felt quite attacked by some someone I really cared about and struggled with that for quite a while and then came to be, I forgave that person for whatever they were feeling about me and for whatever they wouldn't forgive me about, you know, I just, it's like letting that stuff go so that you can keep writing new chapters in your life.
0: Yeah. A lot of us, uh, carry that grievance around like a backpack, you know, everywhere we go.
1: Right. Totally. And Anne Lamott says, uh, holding a grudge is like drinking rat poison and expecting the rat to die you know like some <laughs> I think I'm getting that slightly wrong but it's like you know the idea that you it's misplaced it's just it's a heavy load to carry why 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 bother you know you don't have to keep in, in my chapter of forgiveness and sort of in the song my point is like you can forgive someone without condoning what they did you know and without needing to be best friends you can just forgive it feels good uh, and that's been one of the most powerful messages of the last few years for me. It's like a secret weapon, the power of forgiveness. And uh, and it's definitely crept into this song, but, but a lot of the songs on this new record, you know.
2: If I don't leave a bank account, the plan's have to proceed. If I don't give you what you want, hope you get the things you need Give my brother the guitar. Tell my sister sorry I lost touch Tell my mama not to worry about money quite so much Never turn your back upon a second chance Never trust the guy who says he doesn't I know you need to dance like a symphony of joy And it's not your obligation to go easy on the boys Cause the ceiling gonna shatter, and believe me when it does Those who pin it to the margins, baby, they'll be sweeping.
1: Well we'll go to something a little lighter for a minute. There's a song called Symphony of Joy on there. It was funny because we you and I we were talking and I have I have four daughters and my oldest is a teenager now and she's getting ready for to leave for tour and she said, Dad, I just want you to know I'm dating Michael. And I said, Okay, well who's who's Michael? What's you know? What do we like about Michael? And she said, Well, he makes me laugh. Of course I meet the kid and he's not funny, but Anyway, <laughs> um, you know, I called my daughters into the room and I said, look, I just marry whoever you want, but I would love it if you married someone that dances because I think it says a lot about the way that people live their life. They don't have to be good dancers. but They have to be willing to, because I know my daughters love to dance and I just thought uh, they have to be willing to go out with you. I mean, like in, on the dance floor, you know, to me, that's a that's something you should look for in your future. And of course, you know, Greta, my daughter's five at the time, looking at me like, why are we talking about who I'm gonna marry? But (laughs) we're, um, you know, I had this and then I went off on tour and I I wrote this song, Symphony of Joy, and the chorus is, you know, it's an encouragement to dance, like a symphony of joy. You know, and then the next line is, it's not your obligation to go easy on the boys because the ceiling's gonna shatter. And believe me when it does, those who pinned you to the margins, baby, they'll be sweeping up. And I wanted to write a really upbeat song, something to kind of remind them about our conversation that, you know, marry people, look for people who are going to meet you where you're at, you know, and not try to dim your star in any way. And also, I wanted to speak to the fact that everybody... I know they mean well. So if you're listening and you've done this, don't feel bad, but people come up to you, oh, you got four daughters. Oh, I feel bad for you. Oh, you put them in a convent. You know, like, what are you gonna, You got better get a shotgun. And I would laugh and play along for so many years, but at some point, you know, they're, they're listening, they're watching, and I would never want them to, I wouldn't want there to be any ambiguity as to, I'm the luckiest guy in the world, you know? Four daughters, that's perfect. I would. I don't want anything else. And uh, things are changing here in America, but in a global sense, you know, women are not, they're not always, you know, given the respect that they deserve to say the least. I mean, and it's very important to me to do my best to raise strong women who will know that any pushback that they're getting out there, that's about other people. That's not about them. They have every right to the mantle. And so try not to carry it just as anger, carry it as, you know, go out and live boldly, dance like a symphony of joy.
2: This is a song for our daughter. There's some things that they need to hear And we never know when it's our time to go So let me be perfectly clear You're gonna win, you're gonna lose You're gonna walk yourself around in your shoes So maybe one you will say don't be too hard on yourselves you don't have to be somebody else
0: written another song called four daughters
1: yes I, well we have four kids and then i have song for daughters oh, song, so for, have, daughters, song yeah. for daughters "Song for Daughters." and that's sorry, also sorry. on the I, I'm record mixing them up sorry no i know i'm like raffy for adults i have all these <laughs> these these family songs but uh song for daughters is kind of like you know when you're leveled by the challenges of life try not to be so hard on yourself because we've all been there
0: you know and that's a dad message to daughters or yeah, That's an
1: anyone message. to, And it's, you know, I say it's song for daughters, but it could be song for sons. It's kind of, it's, I, I uh, song for daughters was one where people sometimes call me up and want to write with me about family. Cause I've done it a lot and they think I'll like that. And I'm I, here. I am like trying to write about other things, you know, <laughs> but I went out and wrote that one with my friend, Tyrone Wells, California guy. And he had just had a, another child and yeah, I could tell he wanted to write about it. So I we started writing. Um, you know, I'm a little reluctant because I I've, I've got a lot on that topic and uh
0: covered that terrain.
1: I we well, you think you have, and then you start uncovering some other side of it that you haven't seen. And this was a a case of that because by the time we got to the second verse, I knew I would be recording the song. You know, he could too, but I was like, I'm definitely doing this. This is great. Um and and it became a song for my newly widowed mother and my elderly grandmother and my divorced sister. And again, just like, how can we live in a world where, where women are second-class citizens in, in mass, millions of them in countries where they're... it just, this, this is not okay, you know? This is not, it's not right. And you can say, well, it's cultural and we need to respect each other's cultural But if someone said to me, well, slavery is cultural, you know, the South, they believed it was okay. Well, they were wrong. There are things where it's just slavery is wrong, you know, and some of what's going on with women in other countries, especially is wrong. And it's not, it's not about being an intolerant person. It's about just saying like, this is, this is not okay. So we got, it has to be confronted and it's a, I wish it wasn't so, but it is. And, uh. You know, my daughters are fortunate. They live in America. They live in a very progressive society. They don't necessarily, you know, their their battles feel maybe feel a little smaller. But this is going to be an increasing thing as as we move forward in civilization. This is going to be addressed, and the people who have the power and you know are going to not want to give it up necessarily. So it's got to be. You know, it's important to me. So I, I end up writing about it a fair amount.
0: You know? Yeah. You have to call out the problem to recognize there is one.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, and they're maybe a bit young for, you know, some of the heavier stuff that I've seen in my travels in the Middle East and places like that, where you, I'd rather, I'd rather over-educate them than
0: under-educate them. You've played in front of our armed forces all over times, the world. Many times, all the time. Yeah. Which is, you yeah. know, thank you for doing that. My um, pleasure. Tell me about the songs that you play there that resonate with the troops and, you know, what do you put on your set list and, and, uh, yeah. and tell me about those songs that, well, or have you written any songs from that experience?
1: You know, I haven't written that much directly about that, but it's factor, it's in me. It's a, it's in the fabric of every song, of all the songs, you know, it changes you. You go and you see you see the role that America plays in in, a, in a, the international scale and you can't help but be changed. You travel to, if you're in Africa and you're in Kuwait and you're in Bahrain and, you know, you just go to these places and you're, you, you, you can't unsee things that you've seen, you know? And you realize the commitment of our armed forces that's just independent of any politics. These are just people that are giving their time, usually away from their families for long, long stretches, to preserve some version of good behavior, was a term I heard you use earlier, and that's kind of what it is, if you know, just trying to keep some semblance of peace and some semblance of uh, some kind of international standard across the board.
0: Yeah, recognizing bad behavior and calling it out and saying, hey, we don't want that.
1: (laughs) There's exceptions, of course, you know? You know, some, we get really hung up nowadays with, there are exceptions. It's not a blanket thing of all armed forces are perfect and great. I'm not perfect and great. Like these, you know, there are problems, but there's also at its core a, a, a good, a good thing that that goes on there. And I think that where my music, where we connect, you know, myself and the armed forces is that we are mostly doing what we're doing for our family, for our country. We're trying to be good people in the world. We're doing our level best and we're making sacrifices to do so. We're scrapping. I've got a song called Fourth of July, the chorus of which is, you know, this is my life. It isn't much, but at least it's mine.
2: was on fire and wild and American. She burns it out probably just because she can. And if I had a dollar for everything I should have said I'd probably still be busted. I would throw it all away again. Lightning bugs light up. All across the southern sky Some guys get it all And they don't even need to try I watched you roll away But you didn't even say goodbye And now I hate the night I'm guessing that's the reason why And this This is my life On the 4th of July It isn't much But at least it's mine got in my van Ended up in Boston Thought about my friends and how easily i lost them I'd do it all again, i will leave everyone exhausted Some folks get a break, me I never got one I thought of you at night when I would drink too much If you thought about me too, you never tried to get in touch Went back to school and I ran into some guys I knew We started up this band but we couldn't seem to get it through
1: That one has become a big song in general. That came out in 2007, but for me, that has become an important one to the people who listen to my music and, and it always seems to resonate with, with the troops as well, because you're sort of accepting, you know, hey, I'm no, I'm no better than anybody else, but I've got a life to live here and I'm gonna live it with purpose. And that is, you know, that's the entirety of the lyric in the chorus. So that becomes, you know, it, in the verses of that one, I'll tell my story. But it's really the chorus is what's so universal, and I'll I'll always play that, you know, for the for the troops. But I just, you know, I just I just show up and let them know they're thought of, and play, talk about my life and my family and how it might relate to theirs. And if someone shares a story with me, then I'll maybe bring that into the show. I'm I'm, I'm pretty pretty spontaneous uh performer
0: in that capacity. Would you call uh Fourth of July a patriotic song? No. What is it about? Um,
1: no, it's it's a it's a sort of just a human interest, kind of a again, a lot of my songs I think are are anthems to being alive and and making it through the hard times and, and living to living to die another day and and find some more joy and do some more good work before your, before your time is up. So you could probably characterize 40% of my songs as that, you know, (laughs) but that's, that's fine. I mean, Willie Nelson, you know, he's not like he's covering a, a huge array of topics. He's just looking at it from different angles, you know? And I think that that's the kind of, body of work that I'm trying to create too, where I'm less worried about talking about everything than I am about speaking comprehensively on the subjects that are really important to me. The
0: 4th of July is a very specific personal experience story.
1: It is. And yet a lot of times the specific songs are the ones that seem to be more universal. You know, people can grab onto them because they see some part of themselves in it, you know, on a song like that. Yeah, it's... There's tons of very, very specific details, but it doesn't seem to, it seems to connect to a wide audience. I don't know, maybe I'll play it today and I'll look out at it, the audience and see what if they're connecting, but I think I think they probably will be,
0: you know? And you did that with the Sixers?
1: I did. Yeah. I, the Sixers were a band that was with me for 10 years, and some of the guys are still play with me sometimes and some don't, and, uh, uh, but in most cases, yeah, I just, you know, those songs, I, I never really looked at, at anything as this band or that. It was just, these are just the songs that have come out of me over the years, you know.
0: So I'm interested in in the writing experience of that song. Like, did that just come to you?
1: Yeah, that's a, that one was, uh, we were in Herndon, Virginia. It was the 3rd of July, and we were playing a festival for the town the next day. And we were having a little acoustic rehearsal behind the Stonewall Jackson Inn. It's amazing that that's there in my brain, but that's where it was. So we're sitting out in this field, and we're having a little acoustic rehearsal, a couple acoustic guitars, singing the parts, and we're all getting starving because you know we're at it for a couple hours. We're about to go back inside, and there's it's dusk and the fireflies come out, and that was one of those songs where the words just. They were just there. I don't even know. And I just got down on my knees and I wrote them in my notebook. And the band was, knows not to interrupt me if something like that's happening. It was, I don't know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. It poured out of you. And the music, you know, you kind of tweak after. You shape, shape a couple lines. But I mean, not all songs are that way, but that one was. You know, it was just, It's you're just like a vessel and it's stuff's just kind of there and it's about as close to, spiritual as it gets, you know?
0: Yeah, no, it's interesting. Um, It's Fourth of July's Independence Day, and Stonewall Jackson was Confederate, and Herndon's, I think, our CIA headquarters, right Mm -hmm. there, you know, like all those conflicts of, like, forces around you, you know, I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but. I
1: I feel like, and I'm a distinctly American artist. I mean, I go and I play in Europe, but it's, it's, I really come across as American in so many ways and in so much of my music. But my problem with songs that are quote unquote patriotic is they get used to alienate, you know, they get used to push people. You're not a patriot if you don't like this song. That's just not true. You can be a patriot and disagree with things. And we're in a situation here where we're, we're, we're repeating history because patriotism is being used as a political tool to say you're with us or you're against us. It's just not true. You know, that's not what made this country great ever. And uh, proud to be an American because at least I know I tried, you know that song gets used in some disgusting ways, you know? And it just, so I can't get behind it, you know? But it's not, I'm sure if, if it weren't being used in that way, I wouldn't have a problem with the song. So I don't really write anything that's like, go USA for that reason. But I am, my kids are very clear on how much I love America. I could never be happy in another country. I would go down with the ship if I had to, you know, here, but... So I think of myself very much as a patriot, but I sort of detest patriotic "quote unquote" songs because I I just see the propaganda that they get used as. Well, you know. I'm sorry I asked you if that no, song. No, 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 you shouldn't out. be because it's a good chance to talk about something that I'm passionate about. <laughs> you know, but yeah,
0: because your music is labeled Americana. Yeah, and, and it, you know, and that is a First Amendment word. Not is it? Yeah, what do you know the, and, you know and, the history? Of? I don't what know. It? I don't know the history of it, but it's not saying. It's saying it's from America, you know? It's, it's Americana, and we have unlimited voices we have in, in our country because of the First Amendment. Right. You know, There's infinite right. number of voices in Americana, and all voices should be heard. You can disagree with those voices. And that's your right to do so. Totally. And that's a foundation of America. Totally. And that's a foundation of Americana.
1: Yeah. That's a cool definition. And I, I, it's hard for me right now in 2020 to, I resent feeling, you know, pushed out of the, you know, distinction of patriot f- because I don't share some of the, you know, political stuff that's going on. And I just, I think of John Adams and I think of the real patriots and these people and they were just, I don't know. It was, we've, it's a, you know, we're, we'll get through it, but it's an interesting time to be an American right now.
0: Tell me about your love songs.
1: Yeah, that's another 40% of the songs right there. <laughs> love songs. That's the other that's,
0: uh, um, yeah. You've had a long
1: love story. I've been very lucky, you know? Um, I met my wife when we were 15 and, you know through a, some cosmic luck and, and a, a bit of hard work, you know, we've had been able to be together the whole time and share this experience without, I think, holding each other back, you know, from living our own individual lives too. So, um, so in the, in terms of, you know, romance, Kirsten, my wife, is undeniably, I understand love through her, you know, romantic love. And so she's, in the songs, but I write in the broad sense about love, not in a way like, you know, you don't have to have been with your high school sweetheart to understand what I'm writing about necessarily. And from there, you know, from there, the love songs, the thing I, the thing I, the, I've got a few that are just like out and out odes to love, but I, but again, I, I also write about the struggle. Real love is, you know, knowing all the buttons you can push in a person and choosing not to push the ones that cause pain, you know, and choosing to accept people as they are, not as you would have them be. How often does somebody get married and then you know, gradually shift who they are to accommodate and until you're sort of like, I don't know if that's until you've until you've sort of given up maybe your core, you know? And then people get divorced and thing, you know, and, they, and it just keeps going sometimes. Because it's hard to find the right people. You have to, you've got to care. You've got to communicate a lot. And sometimes you realize you picked the wrong person and you got married to just the wrong person. This person's never going to be uh, someone that can support you in the way that you need to be supported and you, or you're not going to be able to support them. And that's painful reality. But uh, I kind of like to get in there and write, especially about the the journey through Love and what happens if you can learn to see each other in, in the best light, if you can learn to accept the whole of the person, you know?
0: So I imagine your songs are like your children. It's impossible to pick a favorite, but can we talk about some of your love songs? They don't have to be your all-time favorites. They just have to be the favorite in this moment while we're talking here on this podcast.
1: Well, let's think about this. Let me look at this list. You know, I I I wrote one called Love of My Life on the new record for, as a, as a gift to my wife for her 40th birthday.
2: At any time, in any space, I'm sure I would have recognized your face. A vision like Helen of Troy, You came to me when I was still a boy It was you I had to find And I could have found you blind Of all the best memories That live in my head It's you in those blue jeans On the day that we met I knew right then We would be friends You're the love of mine i think she knew it when she met me and she helped you figure out of all those guys knocking on your door there never be one who love you more
1: i that was one where i took it out to the audience i'd written the first verse in the chorus and i took it out i remember i played it in denver And I could feel the first verse and chorus, I could feel the audience leaning in, oh, you know, and the chorus hits, you're the love of my life, people holding hands. I was like, this is great. And then the song went on and it kind of like lost the thread. So I thought, well, maybe Denver doesn't know what they're doing, (laughs) let me try this again. I played it again in Des Moines and kind of the same thing. And then I realized like, okay, I haven't quite captured the essence of what it is to feel like you have the love of your life, you know? And uh, I just kept working on it and we were about to go in the studio and I was in um, Chicago taping a, a an interview at this music store and there was an old 1948 guitar there. I picked it up and started strumming a, a version of this song. And these bridge lyrics, like the whole song, again, just kind of came together on this thing. And this bridge came together that I had never written down or thought of. And the bridge was and this isn't lyrically genius or anything, but I'm just going to tell you what the bridge is. It says it's a, this is a simple song about simple things, a boy and a girl and a wedding ring. Saying it simple doesn't make it mean less. Oh, from those blue jeans right to that wedding dress, you're the love of my life. And that was just, again, sitting there, and I thought, this is okay. I don't need to make this song any more complex than what I'm saying. It's just like, we got lucky we're here and you're, you know, yeah, you're the you, access
0: of my world, you know? You think that people would be tired of silly love songs, but they're not. No. You know, Paul McCartney wrote, wrote simple songs about love songs and. And they're all
1: great. I mean, you can hear a million of them. You hear it, it's and they keep, they keep reminding you of what love is. Uh, this is going to sound a little new agey, but I, I think it's, you know, it's the gasoline that, that our hearts run on and, and. You, the more tapped into it you are, the more full your life is going to be, and the less you have of it, the more miserable it's going to be. So, if a love song reminds you of what's most important, God bless. You know.
0: So, is there a chapter in your new book on that? On on love and marriage.
1: Or? Marriage, marriage is chapter one. Oh, yeah, right out of the box. Is, marriage is actually chapter one, and uh, it's it's a it's sort of a funny chapter because it's a lot of it's just my I, I mean. People erroneously, oh, what a good husband you must be, like these songs. I'm like, eh, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know where you're getting that necessarily. I mean, I, in the book I share my many, you know, I'm I'm not,
0: I do, I'm in the middle. I'm not the worst husband. I'm not the best. You right. Know? And I always ask the artist, when you play this for the person that you wrote it about, in this case, you very specifically, I believe, wrote it about Kirsten, Kirsten yeah. your wife. Yeah. How does she react? It's like, does she... <laughs>
1: she's cool. I mean, I think she liked it. She liked this one. I mean, she doesn't, she'd love me if I wrote songs. She'd love me if I didn't write songs. It's okay. So it's not, but here's
0: like your postcard to her or your, your Valentine you've written. Like, I mean, are you expecting her to break down in tears and hug you? She's got a very
1: even reaction and I've learned not to be needy and need her to do anything more. It's like, I'm just, it's just my offering. It's not, how she reacts is not part of the deal. And uh, it's like it's like me saying what I need to say to her and she can receive it on her own time, you know? And she does. She doesn't, she's never been real mad about a song. And, you know, I'll give her a hard time sometimes because she'll come to the show and I'll be like, did you see any of it or did you hang backstage? You know, like it's, she, she doesn't, she's supportive. She likes my music a lot, but, so when I played this, it was at her birthday party, which was, we had uh, three couples over and we had dinner. And, uh, and I said, all right, well, this is one of my things. I wrote this song. And I'm sure, what I can tell you with certainty, Doug, is that the other couples there were more impressed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and their wives are like, why can't you do that for me? Well, totally. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. You know, totally. And I don't
1: want to make my wife sound like a humbug. I'm not trying to throw her under the bus because she loved it. But it was like, she was like, oh, thank you so much. You know, but it was just like the other couples were crying and like, Oh my God, how did you do that? Like she was, you know, she was like, I love you too, babe. You know, it was, she's just, uh, it's cool. It works. I'm pl- plenty emotional for both of us. So it's good to have somebody
0: who's a little more stoic in the relationship, you know? So I always ask artists, do you watch the crowd and how they're reacting in a song like that? Do you, do you like love it when they start to cry In in songs? Is that, yeah. Is it, I mean, is that kind of, you know, it's working. I mean, I what like, do you look for? I like for?
1: tears. I tears, tears is a tears is fun. Tears is really what I really want to do more than anything is connect with the people who are watching me play. And um, if someone is brought to tears, you know, you've succeeded to me. That's one of the clearest indicators. Um, but, and it's funny. I was just uh, hanging out with a, a great songwriter named Andrew McMahon this afternoon. And we were discussing this very thing and saying that now 20 years into our careers, both of us, I try not to adjust myself to the audience. I try not to, Oh, you know, they're reacting this way. So I need to do this or I need to do that. But I do observe the audience, you know, and I do care. I just don't want to get off track from what it is that I'm, I believe here to do, you know? And too often in the early days, you know, you walk in in a crowd and you just, you're you're like a leaf in the wind, like, oh, the crowd wants upbeat, this, oh, they want, you know. And you don't really know who you are then, you know? And you don't really give them an indicator of what you do. And right. there, there's music for everything. There's music for partying too. There's music for for sitting quietly in a theater too. And people can receive it different ways. So my goal now is to go be myself. If I do that well, then and I don't sound like a jerk, but then I don't care what the audience does. Right. I love it when they're when they get on my train, but
0: Do you have certain songs that are Usual audience cheering songs. You
1: know, more than anything, what it depends upon is the situation. Yeah. You know, out here at Sundance, you don't always get a shot. It's too chatty. You know, too many people just getting drunk and
0: schmoozing. I, you know, there were a lot of people from L.A. here, and with the Kobe Bryant um, situation of his untimely passing, a lot of people who people actually were on the level knew him. Yeah, and people were playing. Uh, in particular, I saw Rain Phoenix play a song, and her album is is called "River" about her grief resolution process. Cool. And uh, there were tears in that love audience. That. There were tears in that audience. I yeah. love that. Yeah.
1: If you give if you give music a chance to do what it's designed to do, you can get there. And uh, you know, if you took ACDC's "You Shook Me All Night Long" and you brought it into a folk cafe, it might be confusing. And in the, by the same token, if you take High highs, low lows, into a a loud bar. It's probably not going to invoke a sing along. It's not an Irish, you know, uh, sea shanty, you know, thing. For me, it's all about just you try to as often as possible put yourself in situations where you can do what it is you do, and then you just let the music work like medicine. You just put it out, and it does what it's going to do.
0: You know. How do you know when a song is done?
1: A great question. And I've heard a lot of other songwriters answer this question, but I don't know that I have, um, which is amazing. But I guess it's just, you just let it go at some point, you know? You can keep, you know, there's, there. I have songs that are in theory done that I don't think are done. Like I, I didn't quite finish, but you just, you've already recorded them and whatnot. So, you know, uh, but at some point, the air can go out of the balloon a little bit with a song, you know, if you keep, Tinkering too long, you can
0: lose the you can lose the plot, you know. I also ask this is one of my interview questions, and it may not apply to you, and and I understand if it doesn't. But have you ever written a song and said, "Boy, this is not a Stephen Kellogg song, but this would be perfect for this voice. This would be perfect for." Beyonce, or sure. Yeah. <laughs> What's that? Many what song times. is that? Oh, gosh.
1: There's there's a lot of them. I mean, but I remember writing a song called, I was called, Why Don't You Quit Talking to Me? And I thought the Bare Naked Ladies, it was, I wrote it really <laughs> early on. And I think the Bare Naked Ladies, it was when they were really booming. And they, I feel like, could have just had a smash with this one.
2: It's positively nuclear. The weight will just bring you down. And hey, try not to shoot the messenger. The truth will always be loud. I'm not trying to get around all things that I found. But you act so sincere when you're wrong You're such a believer, mama's little dreamer But I'm asking you Why are you talking, why are you talking to me? Why are you talking, why are you talking to me? Why are you talking, why are you talking to me? Hey, listen, you know some people never learn They just talk till they burn themselves out And fail, you never have to be
1: And it's so, um, it was so hooky in a way that I, if I was writing for me, if like, if I had thought it had to be for me, I would have, I couldn't have made it as sort of sugary as I did. But because I kind of, because it just seemed to want to go there, I, uh, I thought that would be good. I got another one called Shoebox Full of Proof that I've always thought Brad Paisley would, would be, you know, great on. Um, And that's about sending notes home to your family while you're out traveling, and so that they, and this is this is based on my own life, but so that they have a, you know, my kids have these shoeboxes full of postcards that I've sent them from years and years, and I, you know, the running joke is when they're in therapy, when they're older, they can have this evidence that I was making an effort, you know. So we wrote a song, uh, another writer and I, one day, J T. Harding, and it had a country lean, and I thought Brad Paisley would just. Tim McGraw, you know, would just sound great on them. So, never know. It's Not done yet. I mean, the song's done, but
0: yeah, no, no. I, my goal is that my podcast listeners will somehow get it in front of those artists, and they will consider it, and uh, and it will become a top ten hit. Gosh, that'd be for, nice for them. No, that was actually I told you about Brian Richardson Mountain Town Music, and he he said, oh, if you did that. You would make so many songwriters' dreams come true. Yeah.
1: Oh my God! I know. Like, yeah. totally. I play. I played at a at a festival this summer, and I played with uh, Beth Nielsen Chapman, and I weren't around. And she's at, she's in the Songwriting Hall of Fame. Yeah. And she said Bonnie Raitt has to hear this song. Which song was that? It was a song of mine called Prayers.
2: So your life did not work out The way you wanted Join the club The success the others flaunted Killed off your remaining buzz Nothing like you thought you'd be Believe me, I've been there too When life brings you to your knees And you feel like you can't move Know that this is true Every unkind thing we say Leads to our unhappiness No one in the world gets by Without feeling bad sometimes And I'm not trying to be a jerk But say your prayers Get off your ass and get back to work
1: She said, can you put it in the first person and I'll take it to her? Cause it's, the song isn't in the first person. So I cut it, I went home and cut a demo cause I said, I'd love it. So I have sent it to Beth a few times now and she's like, we got to hang, but I haven't, I don't know if it's gotten to Bonnie and I, and I'm, and I don't want to be a pa a pest, but no, I understand something that. like that. You know, it, it is, it is always the dream that your stuff will connect to the places it needs to. I'll be trying to reach you till I hear you. It's so wonderful to think
2: that you were born so those many years ago. 11, 28, 76 The day that I was born Right before my parents split And it was hard, I know, on them when you're young raising children As we look back through the looking glass Visions closer than they appear Stubbing toes on towards Those days you wish were still here
0: So, Objects in the Mirror is the title cut of the new album and the first part of the book. Mm -hmm. Um, You want to talk about that
1: song? Sure. That's a song that I... It was summertime when I wrote it, and uh, I was getting close to getting ready to record and trying to wrap up. I had two ideas. One was called The Date Song, where I just used all these different dates. And I wrote that date song because I would, the last label I was on had said, Stephen, we really like you and we want you to win, but could you consider writing some songs with less specific dates and names in them? <laughs> and I said, sure. And then I went and wrote more date songs. So I kind of leaned all the way into this thing that I am inclined to do. So I had that one. And then I had a song called In The Moment Passed, about those moments in your life to get away, you know? And uh, neither of these songs were released um, because basically we cannibalized both of them to make objects in the mirror. So it was summertime and I'm supposed to meet my family for a barbecue, might've been like Memorial Day or something. And uh, I sat down and I put the words from the date song to the melody from the moment past and I started just unapologetically going with this date thing 112876, the day that I was born right before my parents split. And I go from there on that. And then I thought, okay, what came after that? And then we had a verse which is actually fitting because today is 128: 12886. Our eyes glued to school's only television set. No one told us, now we knew. Every dream does not come true. And that, of course, was watching the Challenger explosion. You know, and what a loss of innocence that was. You know, suddenly parents are explaining to their nine-year-olds, and I mean, they had all of us watch that at school because it was this. Because yeah, the McCallum was yeah. a school
0: teacher, yeah. huh? totally you know, the first uh, non-astronaut. So I mean,
1: think of that: all these kids watching a disaster, a disaster. Yeah. You know, um, what do you call them? A spaceship explode. You know. Uh, and there's no way to sugarcoat that. You can't say, oh, actually it's, and and, and the looks on the face of people, so that loss of innocence. And I, so from there, I got hip to this idea. I was like, I'm gonna keep going with this. I never made it to the barbecue. And my wife said, what happened to you? When she came home <laughs> that night. And uh, and hopefully this doesn't sound arrogant, but I said, I, I wrote a song that people are gonna be hanging the words to in their houses for at least the rest of my life. You know, I, who knows what, what kind of legacy I'm going to leave in in a professional way. But I know for the people that listen to my music, I knew finishing that song that we had, um, and my friend Eric Donnelly wrote some of the lyrics with me. Um, I knew we had written something that would be with us for always. It was one of those ones that we go, well, at least we wrote that one, you know? And you get a few of those, they're gifts when they come. Um, And so we, I went from there and it's a mix of personal things and, Wider events, you know, that were in there, and it's not necessarily the biggest things, but it's, but it's, it's stuff that I thought covered the the large idea, which was that, which was the what the refrain was. As we look back through the looking glass, visions closer than they appear, and this line changes every chorus, um, but in the last chorus, it's there's so many things to be grateful for, my dear. All these objects in the mirror. And it's the idea that your life passes by, you know, and you see these things and it's each chorus takes a different look at the objects in the mirror, the things that are now past us before we even, before you blink and they go by, you know, so it's long days and it's fast years, you know, it's, it's, uh, these things you know, you're well aware that you've spent fifteen years raising a kid and it's been exhausting and challenging and all the rest of it. And in the same breath, it's how did she become fifteen? You know? Yeah. When did that happen? You know? Yeah. You know, so with each chorus too, it kind of nods to the verse and and in a really neat way on that song. That's a really fun one to roll out for people. Yeah. It was one of those ones when I first started playing it live. You, you can just, as people catch on as to what's going on, it's it's pretty special.
0: And they don't mind the dates. They don't see Nobody, to, ever, care. I mean, nobody people, ever cared about the, irony the dates. Is
1: the people that come see me, they like that. That's why. <laughs> and yet the labels, they have an obligation to, to mass market, and that's fine. And they think, well, maybe, and, and they just don't know. They think maybe it's simpler if it's, what if it alienates someone? Cause they can't relate to that. But in, in, when in fact you kind of want to look at what does this artist do well, what are their superpowers? What are their aces? And if someone had had a little more foresight, they might've looked at my aces and said, no, write more of that, not less and be on, you know, let's go whole hog in here instead of having you write blander songs that we, you know, that you're not actually that good at writing, you know?
0: have you ever written an angry song
1: yeah i'm a really angry person actually I, I have a lot of a lot of i have a lot of empathy and a lot of love but a lot of anger too so what's an angry same song? thing that lets it all in it just kind of like comes back um you know the brain is a beautiful thing is is two records back that's an angry song <laughs>
2: taxes and I don't
1: That song was a song where uh, I just thought I, ha- I do have political views. And for so many years, this, this crap that we peddle to artists, shut up and sing, or, you know, stick to singing, stick to art. It's like, no, stick to being a human, you know. You can say that to Bruce Springsteen, but if he doesn't act like Bruce Springsteen, then he's not Bruce Springsteen, you know. So listeners are entitled not to listen. That's what you get to do. But don't ever tell me who I should be in the world. I'm not here for your amusement any more than you're here for mine, you know? So, brain is a beautiful thing was a bunch of political views that I wanted to share. And it did, you know, and it did. And it, and it kind of, you know, I tried to share them in a way that wouldn't be overly alienating or, you know, us versus themmy. But I'm angry about this. I don't, I, I'm frustrated living in the world the way it is, you know? And I think that's okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I and I'm, like, I'm, I'm glad I'm okay you wrote that song. I'm okay with it. It's I will say it's not a huge theme in my music. It's just it's more there in in my in my way of being. It it exists like I don't I, I don't ever wanna like let things that aren't okay. I don't ever want to let a racist comment happen at a party that I'm at and not say something again, you know? Like that makes me angry. I want to address that. And so I bring that into my shows and sometimes people come in and they're overserved, or they, you know, and I will call them out. But ultimately I don't bring it. I, I go into the shows with a lot of love and the goal is not to like yeah. spread anger. It's more to spread like, yeah. Hey, I know we all have some stuff that bothers us. So let's, let's focus on our commonalities and bring that together. And
0: how can we drive this love force more? You know, it's my honor and thrill yeah. to, get to know you better, uh, in this way. And, uh, and thank you. I can't wait for the new album objects in the mirror or the album's out, but now, I can't wait for dive the, in, man. For the dive new in. book. Yeah. Uh, full title again,
1: objects in the mirror thoughts on a perfect life from an imperfect person. And you can find it on an Amazon
0: download near you.
1: May 19th, 2020, it comes out officially, but we'll have an audible. It'll be on Amazon and, and then certainly through my, my website and channels. And uh, you're playing around. I have just finished about 14 months of touring. So I have a European thing I'm doing in the fall. I've got some festivals this summer uh, and I'm going to do a book tour. So I will be going, going around doing a book tour that will have a little bit of music in it. Great. But that's what's coming up. Yeah.
0: Great. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah. Thank you.